Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings. We're going to take a sip from a bit of fiction and see if this partic particular story uh, suits our tastes. And I am really excited to take a sip from today's cup because it is a genre I've not tasted on this podcast before. I am continuing my way through reading the work of my fellow indie authors and it's really exciting because it's just so much fun to support those who have been such marvelous marvelous uh, kindred spirits uh, both in sharing each other's works and promoting each other's creations and inspiring each other to keep pressing on even when things get tough. And this morning I wanted to share Shay Moore with you. She is, she writes historical romance and what I love about her characters, anytime I dive into an excerpt or two, uh, is just the the realness of their needs. And I think you're gonna feel that as we dive into this first dive. We can't dive into a cup as we take a sip from this first chapter of her first publication, The Unraveling of Lady Fury, which first of all, I just really love that title. I mean, just the, the concept of the lady, you already have a sense of class with the term lady and then, but fury, which is such a, passionate word there is a lot it's a i want to say loaded just because there is so much we picture when we hear that someone is furious when we hear the word fury but also unraveling definitely means that there is some uh loss of control for better or worse we'll see what that means and so we are going to dive into this historical romance today not fantasy not mystery we're diving into something else here and i said diving again i guess i'm just excited so <laughs> i'm just gonna jump into a cup i guess let's take a sip we're gonna take our time i haven't even had enough coffee yet today to be this energetic so i'm just that thrilled to be sharing shay with you so okay let's start reading <clears throat> Chapter 1, Genoa, 1820. Malmesbury would father the heir to the Beaumont dukedom. Count Villaggio wasn't a contender. What she'd logged in her book about him this afternoon said it would be a huge mistake anyway. The same for the Duke of Southie. Young, certainly, but a drunk with quiffed hair and filthy fingernails. No, Malmesbury was the best. The only. Intelligent without being painful, fashionable yet not a dandy, and retaining enough of his looks at the age of 50 not to be outright repulsive. Of course, it would have helped if Thomas could have fathered the Beaumont heir himself, but as he lay dead in a box in the cellar, that wasn't likely. Oh my goodness. Okay, so we are three paragraphs in, and there is so much to say. <laughs> <clears throat> My apologies for all my other sound effects here. First of all, we have here a very calculated voice that is sharing these thoughts about these three different men. And the fact that we already are finding out that one of these men is going to father someone. So we know, well, we know there's going to be some 
<clears throat> shenanigans going on, but with a purpose, as we can hear, uh, you know, there has to be an heir. There needs to be an heir to this dukedom. And our narrator is trying to choose who would best father this child because apparently the actual duke can't do it because he's dead in a cellar. So, and the fact that he's in a box in the cellar immediately makes us question, was he supposed to be dead? Which again, puts all of what is, because already things are looking, uh, what do the what do the hip kids say today? A little shady, as it were, because this woman is choosing a man between three men who are neither none of them husbands to her to father her child so that there can be an heir because her actual husband is dead. Something went down. So we already have a lot of we've got a lot of intrigue in just three paragraphs. So let's see, let's keep going here. Gentlemen, you know as well as I do, this is an unusual evening. Shivers ran up and down Lady Fury Shelton's spine as she stood in the center of her darkened antechamber. With, the, with its festooned corners and gold-scrolled furniture, the carmine-walled room was the best place for such an assignation, although the tiled floor and the cool clang of evening bells snaking in through the parted shutters made it chillier than usual. The candlelight glinting on the pale oval of Messalina's face on the hanging above the bed, too. Earlier, the air had been hotter than a boiled lobster. She'd had to change twice in the space of an hour because she was, too. Hear, hear! Southey raised his crystal glass. Where else but to his obviously parched lips? A toast to her? Already it was obviously beyond his capability to sit down facing her as the other men were with their drinks untouched on the tiny tables beside them, the epitome of good, of good manners. My interviews are complete. Shortly, I will make my choice. Then, having done so, I will invite the said gentleman to this bedroom where he will perform his duty as often as necessary. All on one night? I say, that's a tall order for a man, isn't it, chaps? For Southie, yes, it would be. Given the state in which he'd arrived at her door this afternoon, and what he'd sunk of her amaretto and limoncello, in the meantime, it was a miracle he could still stand there against the marble fireplace. Never mind anything else. But she wasn't about to debate the subject. Maybe she was fit to snap the spine of the tooled leather book she was clutching. A pity it wasn't his throat. The moon could not look serener. I say, Fury, how the blazes are you going to tell right away? Southey hiccuped. Don't them things take weeks and weeks to find out? The Chosen One will be here for weeks. Those not chosen, him in other words, will leave within the hour. I think we may be clear that at any time in the future, should any one of you breathe a word to anyone about this, I will find out. I have some sufficient information in this book here to ruin each and every one of you. Make no mistake, I will use it. By God, Fury, you don't need to talk like that about any of us, I'm sure. Momsbury, who had, or did I say Mamsbury before? Sorry. Mamsbury, who had so far wretched 
watched the proceedings with an amused smile, muttered. You want to get over one over on Thomas? I, for one, don't blame you. We all saw him sneaking about with that Porto Antican tart when you first arrived. Yes. Who hadn't? And do you think we're unaware that his illness had done him harm? The rages, the drinking, the way he keeps you here like a pet poodle? That too. Thomas wasn't who she was getting one over on, but she couldn't very well say so here. She held in her hands every dirty little secret concerning these men, all documented in the yellow dog-eared pages of her book. The leaves also contained letters, bills, testimonies, transactions. She kept it all beneath lock and key, so they obeyed her. In fact, she kept dirty secrets on every member of the aristocracy she came into contact with, so she was safe for another hour or another day. She was hardly about to lose that balance of control by admitting this wasn't about Thomas. No, she could have paid a Porto Antican organ grinder to father her child and walked away. No questions asked. The one at the end of the harbor was handsome enough, but Lady Margaret would smell an organ grinder's bastard at a hundred paces. Hadn't the woman scented fairy fury? I'm going to pause here again. So again, we are getting a lot packed into a very tight space. I'm only on. Let's see here. How far did I get? We're about four pages in on my Kindle here. And I, we, we have learned that, again, our narrator, Fury, is extremely calculating. Now, there is, at least in the American way of thinking, or maybe it's just my Midwestern standard, my Midwestern mores, uh, but, uh, you know, that sex is meant to be, you know, an act of love. And yet here it is absolutely anything but, you know, this woman purely needs the act done in order to be pregnant, in order to have an heir, to clearly be able to maintain where she is. Because if it's found out her husband is dead in a box in the basement, she, something bad is going to happen to her. So she needs an heir to maintain, as she says, to be safe for another hour or another day. And the fact that she has been clinically, surgically even, just gathering information on anyone and everyone who could possibly ruin her so that she could ruin them first, or at least control them like these three men, that's very telling. You know, it's hard. On the one hand, we sympathize with this woman who clearly is not in a good situation. Even one of the other characters talks about how she clearly was uh, basically locked away in the house. And if her husband had been in these rages, and we do find out later in the chapter, we won't have a time to read it, that she was also being beaten up too. So we, on the one hand, we clearly sympathize. I keep saying clearly. I'm sorry. On the one hand, we sympathize with our narrator fury because we no one should have to go through that and even the other characters like mamsbury he's saying that he doesn't blame her for wanting to you know get back at her husband for his antics so no one in her you know no one in this room with her is blaming her for just wanting to have sex with someone else 
an affair of love or not, but just to do it. Do they know why she wants to do it? No. They just think it's to kind of, you know, smack back at her husband. But for her, this is practically a life or death situation because her livelihood, her her life, uh, I, I should say, her ability to maintain a keep a place to live, a home, a livelihood, depends on her being a mother to the heir. So she needs a, to be pregnant. I mean, this isn't just for fun. This is this is a dire need for her. And the fact that she knows how important it is for the child to have the right pedigree also lends to just how calculating Fury is. So that's a lot packed into just four pages. We are getting a sense of necessity here, and we do sympathize her, but at, with, at the same time, we don't know how much we should be sympathizing with her, because for all we know, she killed her husband. So maybe she should not be able to get out of jail time. We don't know yet. We don't know. We'll read a little bit further because I wanted to jump towards the end of the chapter because the end of the chapter, ooh man. Okay, so let me, okay. Let's move to, yeah, actually, you know what? Let us, let's, let's move to the next scene. So she tells the three gentlemen to go to their rooms. She is going to make her choice and have her maid summon one of them. So, but they have to wait for the maid to come and get them, or one of them, and the others will know that they can leave. Okay. So this is now Fury and her maid alone in her room to get ready for summoning one of those gentlemen. Oh, I will fetch the chosen one, will I? Susan folded her arms across her ample bosom the instant the door closed. Fury managed two steps and sank down at her dressing table. Just cover the bruises, will you? I can't have them on show. It might affect the conception. Or at least it might affect their ability to perform. They see that and God knows what else they'll think. I know what I, I know I would. She tossed the book into the open drawer. So? Madam, if I have to take a stick to your back, I will. A stick? That's fine talk when I think of all I've done for you. I know you mean well. Fury wheedled, dabbing a little pure perfume on her wrists. But I believe it's important for a woman to look her best, regardless of the situation. So don't argue. I, I honestly can't take arguing tonight. I don't know if I can take anything more. Look your best for a bunch of drunken old faggots, sadistic old faggots. Do you know what I heard about Villaggio today? Fury, pick, Fury picked up her powder puff. When it came to looking her best, she might as well make a start if Susan wasn't going to help. Whatever it was, you shouldn't have been listening. It was at the market. How could I help it? By covering your ears. Anyway, I thought you didn't speak Italian. He uses boys, young boys, whether they want to or not, and he whips them too. For a moment, Fury stared at the marbled surface of the table. If she could draw strength from its veins to hers, that would be nice. She could draw strength from anything, in fact. 
but she was past that now. All she could do was choose one of these old faggots. Really? Well, I heard it was young girls, but whatever it is, while I know you mean well, you're not in my situation. In fact, it's hard to think of anyone who is. But if anyone was, I'm sure they'd do what I'm doing. You think. We both know it's this or nothing. I can't. I won't be cast off without a penny. Not again. It was bad enough the first time. And anyway, it's no more than Lady Margaret deserves. Wincing, she swept the dark fall of hair back from her neck. Now please, a little powder. A little powder? Susan folded her arms tighter. It will take more than a little powder to cover that mess this time. Just think like Lady Macbeth, will you? And, and stop arguing, you've done it before. Fury raised her head as a gust of wind blew in through the open shutters. Anyway, the men aren't all old or faggots. Fine, have it your own way. Fury almost ceased breathing as Susan secured the shutters, then bustled across the floor. You know you always do. Though I'm not thinking of Lady Margaret, or of what she deserves either. I'm thinking of you. And I want to keep moving forward here, because I really want to touch on the end. But uh, they, the point is, and, and as their conversation reveals here, that um, the the true source of wealth in this in Fury's husband's family is an aunt who, or no, the, her uncle, sorry. But anyway, uh, they ha he has, Fury's husband has to father an heir if he's going to inherit. He has to. And it's on Lady Margaret to make sure, you know, that when she bequeaths the dukedom that it is actually to an heir. And so Lady Fury has to be pregnant, which is kind of hard with a dead husband. So, uh, again, it must be a very recent thing because she was able to pass off to the three visiting gentlemen that her husband is gone visiting a family member. And so um, she needs to have, again, an heir of pedigree in order for the will, in order for the dukedom to be inherited. So Fury's getting ready. She tells Susan to go fetch Mamsbury, or that she is coming to Mamsbury. Um, and so Lady Fury starts heading towards Mamsbury's room. She rose, smoothed her dress, indigo silk, a perfect match for her hair and, hair and eyes, and took the candlestick. She did this, she forfeited forever her claim to be a respectable woman. Who was going to know, though? Apart from herself, Susan and Mamsbury. That old coot would marry her in a second if she gave the word. It was all the more reason to choose him. So why worry when the only thing that could possibly stand in her way was herself? If she didn't execute this task, then she faced being in the same position she ha as she had been in seven years ago. It was fine at 18. But now she needed to secure some things. Once she had, think of how free she'd be of men and all their machinations for the first time ever. Women, too. 
The blue chamber stood at the far end of the landing near the stairs, and she padded there noiselessly in the arc of the flickering candle, past the disapproving busts of the villa owner Signor Santa Rosa's ancestors, and the draped apertures which she sometimes imagined hid more secrets than she did. Mamsbury would be surprised to see her, irresistibly dressed, jeweled, perfumed in a floating cloud of jasmine, and hopefully, willing, as much as she could make herself, anyway. Who would know that beneath the rustling indigo silk, the heady, intoxicating jasmine she had bathed in earlier, she was like a skittish colt, ready to bolt? Was this how Mary, Marie Antoinette felt going to her execution? The queen's deeds were certainly questionable. But her courage now, that was to be admired. Besides, surprise could sometimes be the best method of attack. A man was, after all, a man, and as she'd said to Susan, it might even rather be fun. If it wasn't, well, in addition to swiftly retiring to her own bedroom, bolting the door, and lying with cool lavender-scented cloths on her forehead, there was her book, wasn't there? <laughs> it's always the book. If he put her hand, a hand on her that was less than seemly, what she'd say to him on the subject of his murkier dealings would certainly ensure it would be fun the next time, if not before. Ah, that's what she meant by the book. Oh, this was, this was going to be just fine. Drawing a breath to quell her hammering heart, she raised her hand to tap on the door. Hello, sweetheart. A low, American Southern voice drawled. Not from the other side of the door where she expected to hear something, but almost in her ear. Imagine seeing you here. Oh, someone else got in. <laughs> But that's where the chapter ends! So we have, clearly, there is now a fourth man in the mix now. And we don't know who this is, but apparently he knows her. Oh, those American Southern gentlemen. Uh, something, it's clearly now all of what Fury was planning through her head, through the beginning of this evening now, is is bound to be completely... Uh, thrown asunder. And it's a great way to end the chapter because now we have a new character whose intentions and stakes and connections are all unknown, except he somehow knows her. And after clearly hearing from Lady Fury over these past several pages in this first chapter, how important it is to break free from her past and be free because she went through this horrible ordeal of just <clears throat> being cast aside penniless before. If this is someone who knows her from her past, he might know her from that past, which makes her plight right now all the more dire. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I mean, poor Lady Fury, but also awesome for readers because this is, these are the kinds of flavors we need to be seeing in any story. This isn't just about romance. I mean, this is, don't get me wrong, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to get heated soon. But my point is, as writers, we need to get the needs of our characters through to our readers ASAP. The, our readers have to feel that there is something important, that our characters need something. 
Because otherwise, why are we reading the story? Stories are driven by our characters' hopes and needs and 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 situations. Yeah, I'm all about I'm all about good plots too. But our characters have to help those plots move forward. The plot can't drag the character along. The character helps the plot move. And a, this first chapter clearly shows that it is the characters needs that are moving the plot forward. And because we are seeing these characters, especially Lady Fury again, we aren't just seeing her as being, oh, woe is me. She's not a damsel in distress. She clearly knows how to take care of herself. And we don't agree completely with how she's taking care of herself either. I mean, she's blackmailing these men. She is saying, you know, either they are going to do what she says, like the fathering of her child without any sort of love. It is purely just the act of impregnating. They have, one of them has to follow through on it or they will be ruined. I mean, this is a character who is not just all good or all evil either. These are multifaceted characters, especially our narrator. And that gives us something to root for as well as something to question. And so for us as readers, we are very interactive here too, because, you know, we, we are, we're not entirely sure if we want Fury to succeed or not, because we're not sure how much we like her yet, but we do sympathize with her to a degree. And that helps us to keep reading forward. That's what we want to do as writers. We want to have complete characters that have flaws, that have virtues too, but they have those flaws. Because we as human beings are not perfect. So why on earth are we trying to make our characters perfect? We shouldn't. And that's a great lesson to take away from this book. And as a picky reader, I hope you keep trying this book out. Even if you're not a big fan, because I'll be the first to say I don't read much as far as romance goes. I don't. That's just how I roll. Just like my husband can't read fiction for the life of him. He'll read like 20 different biographies about Groucho Marx. But if you try to put a book of fiction in front of him, just, it's not real. So I hope that, you know, you keep trying new things. Keep, keep taking sips from new stories you've you've never thought to try before. I, I'm excited to keep trying new genres and keep trying new stories and to keep tasting what my fellow indie authors create because that's that's how we grow as writers and, and how we discover new joys as picky readers. So I hope that this September day, this September, gives you the chance to taste new flavors from writers may you may not know or writers you've known but just haven't really read much of before. Until next time, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers!